Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, here we go. I've hit the button. This means there's no turning back. We must dive in and, and, and learn we shall and have fun. We will too. Uh, my guest today, I'm very excited to introduce you to him. He is an entrepreneur, a marketer, uh, someone I'm, I'm hoping to learn a lot from today, a problem solver, and really an expert, a master when it comes to the world of Facebook, Instagram, and, and the, as it's been said, the not so sexy side of social. But I would say it's even more sexy because it's repeatable and measurable and you can drive things like crazy. So I can't wait to, to understand this so much more. Um, he is the founder of Quarter Muffin, Jeff Katz. Welcome to the show, sir. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Casey. So good that you're here. I can't wait to learn from you. You you speak into the platforms that you advertise on. It's like you're the whisperer of social advertising. So tell me, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to pass you this invisible, but yet so heavy, Thor's hammer. There you yeah. go. Take Thor's hammer for me and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, so um, my myth is that Facebook ads alone can drive new customers. And you see this all the time with brands that are you know, new to Facebook, Instagram, Shopify, and brands that are mid-market size that you know, might have big businesses or are trying to cast awareness and go more into a full funnel. What ends up happening is they say, okay, you know, we have a great uh, website. The product's being worked on. We don't quite have our reviews up and our email marketing is being worked on let's just kick the Facebook ads off and let's just get some business going. And what people don't realize is that it doesn't work that way. Facebook ads work really well to amplify a message, but to um, kind of solidify it or kick it off, it's not as impactful as people imagine. Uh, and I think in part the reason why people think that is because there are some uh, one-off success stories of, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jobs, who's uh, studying in a dormitory that, Kind of scraps together 500 bucks and does a Kickstarter, uses Facebook ads, and la di da, he becomes a millionaire. But that is not a, a, a tried and true path that other people should be trying to emulate. The way that uh, I recommend running a, a successful Facebook or Instagram advertising campaign is what you want to do is start with your your product. Obviously, make sure that it's uh, perfect in every respect that is possible. Followed by a, an amazing website. And when you set up a website for uh, any type of social campaign, you want to make sure it's obviously optimized for mobile and desktop, as yeah. well as complete with reviews, um, trust badges, you know, as seen, uh, you know, in the New York Times, as well as um, any type of credibility you can add. You know, maybe there's um, influencer campaigns that ladder up to it, or um, you've had um, maybe celebrities that have endorsed your product. You know, whatever it is to build confidence, that's kind of the the, the platform that you need to then launch any type of paid advertising campaign. Okay, love that. Um, it's not it's not enough just to give Facebook your credit card and wish it well. Sounds sounds like it'll take your money, but it's <laughs> that's not enough. Right. And, and there's just so much that goes into an advertising campaign. So if you assume that your brand is super buttoned up and your website is perfect, then at that point, it, it makes sense, obviously, to get going with a, a paid campaign. And what that looks like is figuring out, you know, how to best optimize your audiences and utilize them matched with creative. So 
on my team, what we do is we look at your creative uh, and your audiences, and we create a hierarchy of warm to cold in that your warmest audiences will be the people that have been on your website in the last 24 hours or seven days, followed by maybe your Facebook and Instagram engagers. And then there's other audiences that are really warm. Um, people talk about your current or previous customers, people that are messaging you on Facebook um, just for you know questions or inquiries. Um, and then your email subscribers. Those are typically where you want to start. And brands that come in with those big audiences like that, they crush it out the gate. Um, assuming, of course, your website is, is optimized for right. um, traffic. So that's kind of where we look at. It. And then we obviously try to match it with the creative to make sure that we can figure out what uh, resonates best with the audience. A lot of people don't realize this, but you know, the copy and the exact details don't make the world of a difference. It really comes down to how strong your data is. So the brands that come in with strong data sets, a lot of website traffic already, uh, it works really well for Facebook ads. Mm. And it sounds like you need the trappings. It's almost like a Thanksgiving dinner. You need, you've got the campaign, but you've got the, the prep and the planning, and then you need the badges around it. You need the stars, everything else you can do to make it a full dinner, right? Not just, yeah, you know, it's not a TV dinner. <laughs> we actually say full funnel. So, you know, we, funnel, look at, yeah. we look at other um, places to advertise, right? You know, obviously search with Google. Um, if you're doing Amazon, that helps. Um, and obviously email marketing. And those are places that you can, you know, ladder up in tandem oftentimes, but the, the best practice is really to have those solidified so that, um, you know, when you're running out, uh, when you're pushing out Facebook ads, any people that aren't captured initially can then be retargeted through maybe email marketing or on Google. And, and that's really the, the way that brands scale up their advertising. They're not just running Facebook and doubling and tripling their spend. They're kind of bumping up their Facebook ads a little bit over here, scaling up their Pinterest ads over there. And then mm -hmm. as they're going, they're optimizing the full funnel. Where do you start with this, right? If, if there are multiple steps, what's step one? Where do you go to begin this thing? Sure. So step one is really just making sure that your organic content is performing. In other words, if you were to put out 100 Instagram posts and 100 Facebook posts, would you land a single customer that way? Or, you know, you could obviously scale up to a thousand or however many it is. And if you can do it through organic, that means that you're then able to do it through paid. And my point of view is that if you have um, an organic strategy, that can kind of help better inform what you want to do on paid ads, because you can't put out every piece of content. Only certain pieces of content will make the cut in that you're limited by budget, time, and, um, you know, obviously creators. Um, so whenever I'm looking at this, I want to make sure that the content is um, effective. We typically look to see if uh, content is delivering sales between five and 10,000 impressions, uh, which usually takes about a week or so, sometimes a little bit longer depending on the budget and uh, the geography. And we look at creative that uh, has engagement on it. Oftentimes when people are commenting or engaging with the post, that tells us as advertisers that Maybe there's something here, maybe the next batch of creative, we should be emulating what's in those images or videos. Mm. I get it. Cool, cool. So, so, I mean, talk to me about the, the interplay between organic and paid. Is it like the chicken and the egg? Should one come first? Can so, you contest with the other? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And with some brands, you know, I'm thinking about traditional businesses, like if you're a doctor or a locksmith, you yeah. almost don't really need the organic. Um, I actually run um, advertising for my father who's a surgeon. 
And we don't really do any organic content. We do blog posts and we do some email marketing. But on his website, what we do is we predominantly put out, um, you know, what, what we see as uh, those trust badges, you know, certifications, mm -hmm. um, publications. And then we rely on paid ads, mostly through search to deliver the traffic. And then in other cases, you know, if you're looking at maybe an apparel brand or brands that are featured on Kickstarter, the organic content is really critical to rally those seed audiences. And the reason why you need those seed audiences is because whenever you're creating any type of advertising campaign, especially on Facebook, um, a path that really yields strong results is your lookalikes. So your lookalike audiences will take your seed audiences and crank out new audiences that uh, have similar characteristics with those individuals. And increasingly in you know 2022, we're seeing a shift away even from lookalikes, which historically have performed well to broader audiences. So for brands that are getting uh, you know off the ground, uh, what once worked with a small audience of maybe a thousand or two thousand individuals in an audience, it's not necessarily the case anymore. Depending on what you're trying to sell, Facebook is actually um, uh, performing best right now with much broader audiences that are in the two to ten or twenty million uh, people range. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Man, killer, killer. How, how does it tie into to in-person? Are we staying virtual these days? Do you, do you see campaigns going in-person, tactile with, I mean, there's the silly direct or events or, you know, how, talk to me about the interplay of, of the, the social and the advertising with that in-person experience. Sure. Yeah, I think that there are some situations where they overlap. Um, I used to do actually a lot of uh, Facebook ads for real estate agents. And not surprisingly, it's very difficult to sell a house on Facebook because, you know, you have to look at the house, you have to engage with the agent and so on. So um, in those situations, we would leverage Facebook ads to get people to happy hours just to meet the people. And then, you know, the hard sell, your bottom or middle of the funnel is done more in person. And we, we were just levering, leveraging the Facebook ads for your awareness campaign. Um, there are other cases where I think it makes a lot of sense for in-person. You know, there's a farmer's market down the street for me that um, collects emails from their customers. And obviously, you can use those emails as seed audiences for, you know, whatever campaign elsewhere. So there's, there certainly is a lot of overlap. And I think it's critical that you connect the dots like you're, what you're talking about. Does it get fuzzy on the tracking side? How, how much can you truly know from some of these campaigns? I for sure have bought directly from Instagram too many times, so much that I had to, I just, whoa, it was like two times in one day. And I was looking at a third single, like, I want that too. Like, right. like clearly they had my number figured out. And so I was like, nope, got to close the app. Can't, <laughs> I'm getting hooked here. Uh, so I can track that. That seems pretty direct. Uh, but I mean, talk to me about how much attribution you can really get to. So the default on Facebook, um, historically, I believe was 28 days. And now uh, the attribution window is seven days from view and one day from click. And um, yeah, so it, it's tightened up a little bit. And, and obviously, that, to your point, it makes you wonder what percent of people are kind of falling without that outside of that range. And um, what we've noticed is that for brands that are doing maybe lead generation, you could track it because if it's a small enough uh, business, you know, maybe you're a real estate agent in this case, when you pick up the phone, you say, hey, how did you hear about us? Um, in other cases, you're, you're going to run into issues um, with last touch attribution in that someone can maybe Google you uh, and then, you know, 30 days later, they'll say, oh, oh, on Facebook, there they are. You know, you come across an ad and then it's like, boom, you make that phone call. So it gets a little tricky there. 
And then in other cases, um, you can track everything if it's a if it's completely online through Shopify and and, and Facebook because um, you have to imagine that that's the only avenue that they would have heard about you for you know again brands maybe on Kickstarter or um, brands that are just selling you know basic merchandise. So the right. tracking is certainly there for specific brands and then other brands uh, maybe more local brands. It's a little bit more tricky to to, to look at. Um, what people are doing nowadays is. Uh, they're looking at what's called the blended ROAS, so the blended return on ad spend, um, and, and that. Can you say it again? Blended. Yeah, the blended return on ad spend, and it's just a different way of looking at um, your attribution and how successful your campaigns are. You know, it's basically the number of dollars you put in overall. You know, to Facebook, Google, Instagram, whatever ad campaigns you're running, and then you look at what you get out of it. And if you literally turn off one of those campaigns, you can see kind of what the impact is. But it's very difficult to match things up one to one. I, I all the time will have clients that call me and say, "Hey, you know, I'm looking at Shopify. The numbers in here don't seem to mirror exactly what it has what it has on Facebook, and it just becomes very challenging in all respects because Shopify has their own way of looking at it, and Facebook has their own way, and they're not really interested in talking to each other. I wish they would. I wish they would have a little convo, right? Go out for coffee together. Maybe. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, where, where does this thing go? Can you predict for me like the future? If you were to look forward, um, at, you're so you're you're in it. You're seeing changes. You've already said that we're we're look we're kind of moving away from seed audiences to the broader audiences. Tell me more about the future. What kind of changes are you seeing? What are you excited about from the future? Yeah, so there's um there's one thing that um, Facebook marketers are looking at at the moment, which is kind of a shift away from pixel data, which is kind of what we're talking about right now. Um, you know, being able to um, go from server from pixel data to server side data through what's called the conversions API, and the idea there is that instead of um, you know these track these devices tracking your every move, Facebook and Instagram are saying, hey, what if we you know as an example set up a shop where every time you want to purchase the product, just do it natively on Facebook. Don't bother you know going to the website and whatnot. And by virtue of that, they're able to then capture additional data points on you. And those yeah. audiences that they capture are much more, um, not powerful, but they're they're much more accurate in terms of the data points they have on their customers. Mm -hmm. They being, you know, the vendor that would be selling, you know, the shirts or t-shirts and, and so on. And and that's that's the big shift that people are talking about. You know, will the pixel still be around next year? Right. Uh, will other platforms start mirroring that style? And and I, I would say the answer is yes. That's a really big thing that's happening at the moment. Um, a minute ago, we talked a little bit about attribution windows. Those are tightening up a little bit because clearly it's a little bit confusing. Um, so those are kind of the big things that I'm kind of eyeballing at the moment. Um, and then obviously the impact that TikTok is having on other platforms, uh, which is you're seeing a big shift to um, real type videos um, because that's where now people's eyeballs are going to. That's where the time is being spent. And that's where um, a large number of purchases are coming in. If you look at the popularity of ad units within Facebook and Instagram. And it's hard to measure now because a lot of the insights are taken away. But if you look at, you know, right-hand rail historically versus newsfeed versus stories, stories are getting a lot of momentum. And we're seeing a bigger shift toward purchases uh, geared in that direction compared to, you know, traditional ads that would be seen in the feed. So that's another big thing that's happening this year. Okay, got it. Uh, and I was wondering about TikTok and uh, you're right, that, that shift to the, the videos, it's so easy just to, but you're saying that not only is it, I mean, I, I, as a consumer, I've definitely, 
I guess, enjoyed them or when I understood the mechanism, but it sounds like add dollars into those as well. Exactly. Interesting. You know, um, I don't think I've seen real ads. I, so I've been paying for YouTube red. So I'm like, no ads. I've, I'll pay it all day, every day, um, just not to, but then half of me is kind of curious. So I, I might have to you know, switch a profile and just go look at the real ads because I, I think the idea, are they quick or they're not, I mean, they're not that like ridiculous two minute long. Are, are the real ads a little bit, a little bit peppier? Yeah. So it, it depends um, on the platform itself. Um, you know, you, you touched on YouTube obviously. And I think, um, I don't know the exact time frame, but you know, most best, uh, most brands are doing under 15 seconds with these ads. And um, you know, I, I, I've seen it kind of go either direction. I think, uh, just as a side note, um, you know, a lot of marketers, I think nowadays will say, oh, the ad's got to be like really tight and short and so on. But I'm a, I've also seen ads for, you know, brands that are maybe selling courses online or um, describing, you know, what a procedure looks like in a healthcare office that are a little bit longer. And they are impactful if you look at, you know, the view through rate versus the conversions and so on. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Where, where do you like to learn from? Uh, do you have any favorite books you're reading right now? Any any favorite sources you like to go to, podcasts, anything like that? Yeah, so there, there's a couple of places in particular. Um, my team actually, um, as a whole, we take uh, online Facebook courses. So um, Depesh Mandalia is really, really good. He has courses and he has a podcast. Um, the other person that comes to mind is Kat Howell. She also has a great course and a podcast. Uh, in terms of books, um, there's something called um, the BAMF Bible. It's called B-A-M-F. Okay. And um, they're a marketing agency, I think, out of California that does a really, really good job in terms of um, outlining different strategies and, and growthy hacks for um, building seed audiences, uh, not just on Facebook, obviously, but they're really big into LinkedIn and um, Instagram as well. And I've learned so much from reading it. There's actually a couple versions of the Bible. Um, and I think they come out with one maybe every year. That, that sounds normal, as, as there always is. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, okay, good resource there. Well, next, I'm just really curious. Who are you? How do you know all these things? Can you take me back in time to like the little you days, right? Little Jeff growing up, did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur, a marketer to the stars, a thought leader, all these things? Yeah, so um, my background, oddly enough, is, um, or I guess my undergrad degree is in industrial design. Um, I'm really into products. And um, after school, I started freelancing um, and contracting for a number of Fortune 500 companies. Um, I helped out actually doing one-off jobs, designing CRMs for a couple brands, as well as um, implementing social listening tools. Um, so I've just done a number of things in the social media space. In maybe 2013, 2014, I worked on... Um, an offering for small brands looking to automate different processes through LinkedIn and Instagram. So any type of engagement, you know, likes, comments, direct messages, and so on. And then in recent years, I uh, called those clients one day and I said, Hey, you know, um, a lot of these tools aren't as impactful or effective as they once were. Would you be interested in kind of migrating over to paid? Nice. And that's how I got my first batch of paid uh, clients. Uh, I've been doing paid advertising for a lot longer. Uh, you know, I, I used to do it at Verizon full time and um, a company called Sprinkler. But okay. um, that's kind of how my company got off the ground. And, um, you know, on the side, uh, one of my passions or hobbies, I guess you could say, is I love credit card points and award travel. So most of my day and uh, when I'm not doing social is spent 
um, kind of piecing together itineraries, finding new ways of uh, earning credit card points, and um, just networking with that community. Honestly, they're very vibrant on Facebook, and I spent a lot of time there. Yeah, man, um, so much to do there. I, I want, I want to. I'm gonna. We're getting into travel in just a second, but uh, um, tell me about Quarter Muffin. First of all, where the hell did the name come from? And then second of all, what do you what do you do? Like who and who's your ideal customer? Yeah. So long story short, um, I was working at Verizon at the time. And what happened was I was sitting in a sales meeting and in New York, they brought in, a, I guess for most meetings, a huge plate of pastries whenever vendors would come to pitch to us. I love that. So I was um, sitting there as the new guy and realized that, um, you know, I, I was hungry. I must dive in. And as I'm looking at the plate of pastries, I realized that I was the only one who was eating. I wasn't sure why. And my um, supervisor at the time was like, oh, I'll grab a knife from the micro kitchen. And she comes back and starts cutting all of the muffins into like 10 pieces and everyone jumps in. And then I realized at that point, like not one of you said anything to me. And I, I felt humiliated. And I, re I told the story to someone that like I was the only one who ate the muffin. And they're like, well, you should just call it quarter muffin. And I was like, that's a stupid name. And I was like, wait, the domain's available and no one else is going to add this and no one will forget the name. And I just went with it. Love it. Uh, so, I mean, were there not enough muffins? I mean, did, could you, could people not just all how they just didn't want to eat a full one. They didn't want to commit to a full I, muffin. I think there's a little bit of shame involved with eating entire pastries in front of your peers. And I didn't realize that at the moment. I, I hope, I hope with your company, you've created the core value of like, look, you get a whole muffin or, or maybe you, you cut them all because the name is quarter muffin now. So, yeah. yeah. And that's in there. Dive in. That's our, our mantra. Dive in. I oh, love that. Right. Dive in, get your pastry. Hey, snooze, you lose, man. Yeah. You're all you got left is this one over here. I already got that one. Thanks. Do you have a favorite pastry? If there was a giant spread in front of us? I, I do. Uh, it's a babka. I'm really into babkas. What, what the hell is that? I got a babka. It. It's like, um, it, it's, a sweet dough like um twisted with layers of chocolate and then you put it in a bun cake or a oh, bun uh i don't know you call it it's baked in a cube it's that. delicious do you add cinnamon to that or just chocolate well it's two different types there's the cinnamon and there's the chocolate amen this is fantastic i gotta i have not had one but now i'm intrigued i'm looking at it yeah it has these just swirls inside of it cool you know i would i would say uh, for me, it, I think I've been to a place where they, it's kind of always hard to decide, you know, they have the Danish and it's either the cheese one, the raspberry, or maybe the apple in the middle, you know, like the sort of the, the jelly or whatever it is. But I've seen one where it's like, you get all three, right? So it's like partitioned off. And that's kind of, I think that'd be my favorite because then you don't have to choose. You just, right. I'll get take that one, get a little bit of each, you know, inside there. Yeah. I'm a big Danish guy myself. I, I dig that. Yeah, totally. And then, because otherwise, you know, you grab that one, you're like, well, I hope hope I can grab the other one too. But, you know, no, one's fine, but I'll just get this one because it, it triples up. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I have a hypothetical question for you. Sure. Um, because see, in New Hampshire, I may or may not have a time machine. Mm -hmm. And let's say you come visit, we get some beers, lobster, whatever, some babkas, let's go, some danishes. And then we use this time machine, but it's a particular kind of time machine. And you go back and you meet yourself a few days after graduating the undergrad, right? You just got the industrial design and 
like younger you is like fresh out of school. What do you tell yourself? What kind of things would you give yourself advice, recommendations? What would you say? Good question. I, I think that, you know, it's so hard to pin it on one thing because nowadays, you know, what we know about Facebook and Instagram advertising specifically didn't exist in, you know, 2005. And I think that overall, I look at, um, you know, different trajectories you can take out of school. And I think that um, if I were kind of giving myself advice, it would, it would have been to start sooner. I think that, um, you know, oftentimes as an entrepreneur, your bottleneck is going to be time and, you know, screwing up. And I, I think if I have one thing that I wish I could kind of do over or tell myself, you know, X years ago, I wish that I started this whole journey when I was an undergrad. Uh, there was a number of opportunities uh, in this space that were bubbling up. And I think every year that goes by, um, you know, that's one more year where I'm like, I wish I actually did that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Like go for it. Right. Yeah. Don't wait. Um, that's good. That's good. That's good advice. Um, so now let's talk about that travel. Do you have a favorite airline? Do you have a favorite hotel, favorite frequent program, frequent flyer kind of program? Yeah. So I'm a lot of your hates. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that it kind of comes down to your goals. I mean, anyone in the award travel community will take, tell you the same thing. I think that the way I see it is, you know, if I'm planning a trip with the family or if I'm going, um, you know, a place by myself, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, how do you minimize your out-of-pocket expenses and maximize, I think, the, the fun part of it, which is, in my opinion, it's flying first class or business class. And when I look at different airlines, um, domestic carriers typically, um, they're, they're all going to be relatively the same when it comes to flying economy. Um, so I'm looking more at award redemptions and availability. Um, oftentimes, when you start getting two or three tickets at a time or flying first class uh, or business, um, what ends up happening is they throttle uh, the award availability in different directions. So like, as an example, American Airlines has amazing availability, but they do this really immature thing where they make you transfer. So it's like, oh, you want to fly New York to LA? Not a problem, 25,000 miles each way, but you're going to have to stop over in Dallas. It's like, oh, you want to go direct? Now it's 50,000. So those are the um... details that really irk me. And then you have an airline like Delta. It's like economy is super cheap, but you want to fly business class. They like have insane numbers of miles that they require. It's like, you know, economy is 20,000 each leg. And then, oh, you want business? That's 200,000. Oh my um, gosh. So I think that in terms of the product themselves, you know, I'm not uh, biased toward one or the other. Um, I do think that JetBlue's mint class, which is their business class, is superior to all the other carriers in the US. Um, so that's kind of what, you know, the way I think of it. Um, but I typically go toward what the most difficult part is, which is the redemption itself. It kind of work backwards. And, you know, for flying a family forward, you know, from A to B, I just want to know what's available. And then I kind of figure out how to get the best deal on it. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because there was that cost. And I was having a conversation with my dad about this, where if you're going to be frequently traveling, having some loyalty will pay off for you. But if you're not doing a frequent travel, then it's better just get a good deal. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also find that when you have a little bit of that loyalty card status, then it helps smooth out the bumps. You know, it, things happen or you need to get rebooked or rescheduled. It There's maybe a zoo of people all trying to get rescheduled, but you might be able to get on the phone a little bit faster than someone else. And, you know, and, or they'll just notice you more and, and hopefully help you out. And 
on a really rough day, maybe even get bumped into a new class and like, whoa, how did I, what did I do to deserve this? Um, Yeah. Kind of a pleasant surprise. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that also, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't have any status with any airlines anymore, but uh, when I did, I noticed that when I would go into a lounge and ask for help in person there, I would get a little bit more, um, uh, not special treatment, but they're definitely quicker to, you know, address any sort of concerns or challenges. And, um, you know, I, I think that for people that have status, I think that's an amazing direction to go. You can also get a status match with other airlines and then kind of work your magic in that direction too. Yeah. Um, huh. What, what would you say are like your, your, your biggest tips on travel and these programs? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, one of the things that people always ask me about is like, oh, which airline should I be loyal to or which, um, you know, credit card? And I think that there's a few um, big things to think about, which is the first is transferable currencies. So American Express has their membership rewards. Chase has ultimate rewards. Um, City has thank you points. And those currencies will transfer at a one-to-one ratio to a lot of domestic carriers. So Amex goes to Delta. Um, uh, There's another uh, credit card that's new called Built. They'll transfer one-to-one to to United and to American Airlines. Um, I think City goes to JetBlue, but I have to double check that. And when you have those currencies, what that kind of unlocks is your ability to, to redeem for other airlines. So you're not just stuck with Delta miles, you know, indefinitely, right? The other yeah. thing that I always tell people is that if you're able to transfer your miles to a carrier, maybe like British Airways, you can then use those points to redeem on American Airlines. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is oftentimes it's like 50% of the price. I'm not exaggerating that. So there are times where if you just transferred those points to British or uh, maybe to um, uh, Aeroplan, which is um, Air Canada, and then redeem for like United business class. You'll If you do it in that direction, as opposed to just redeeming with United miles, it'll be cheaper sometimes to fly business class than economy. Really? Yes. Interesting. You know, it, it reminds me, um, I I heard about some crazy mileage runs because I was I told you earlier before we got started that I was, I was, uh-oh, I, was, I had to get to a certain amount to get to the next level or I'm going to lose it. Right. And um, I Googled mileage runs and apparently on uh, November 8th, <laughs> I don't know how people find these, on November 8th, you can fly from Boston to Seattle to Lahue or Lahue, Hawaii mm-hmm. and back for $500. Wow. And you're in Hawaii for two hours and, but you'll get like 10,000 qualifying miles out of it. Whereas normally you would get like a couple thousand. Yeah. I mean, it sometimes is worth it. You know, I, I don't fly as often because of the pandemic at the moment, but yeah, I think for people that are, you know, really fixated on um, getting status or just earning miles that way, and you have the time and you have no issue flying. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I would have probably done that, um, you know, years ago, but um, you know, I think it comes down to kind of, you know, what you value it. And on my side, you know, I look at status and I kind of wish I had it, but I also look at the amount of work that it takes. Like you're talking about the status run or the um, mileage runs. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know if that's worth my time at the moment. It's a lot of flying, a lot of headaches. <laughs> it is like the, cause it ended up being, you start at 6am and you're not done till the next day at 3pm. Right. A day and a half, pretty much all flying. That's a lot of flying. And that, and that price is not in a comfortable seat that is in, you know, just regular, regular seating. So that would be a lot of, I mean, if they put you in a life flat bed and they're serving you caviar, I'm like, well, let's go. <laughs> but this is, this is 
this is not a dream life here. This is yeah, a mileage run for 500 bucks. So I'm sure there's people out there doing it right now, just trying to yeah. get some miles in. You know, another thing I think about for small businesses that are looking to earn a lot of miles, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a number of credit cards that will get you, you know, two, three, four X, um, you know, points um, on um, social media marketing. If you're running paid ads on Google, on YouTube, LinkedIn, you just take these credit cards in the platforms. And, you know, if you're doing five or 10K in ad spend, it's like, boom, now you make 30,000 points a month. And um, what people don't realize is that you can also get two or three of the same credit cards sometimes. So if you're, um, you know, you have two businesses or if your wife is also looking to, you know, get in on this, um, there's ways of really amplifying um, how far your marketing dollars go and getting points that way too. And I think that's really worth looking into. Yeah. Love that, man. So good. So good. Where can people reach out to you? How do they connect with you? What websites, what social platforms? Yeah. So um, I, I'm uh, Jeff at quartermuffin.com, obviously www.quartermuffin.com. And, um, you know, in, in terms of my social, I'm typically on LinkedIn. That's where um, I engage with most of my leads and clients. And um, yeah, that's where uh, I am. Love it. Love it, man. Um, but we'll put all that information in the, in the show notes so people can just click right on through. Um, thank you so much for coming on here. Just This was fun. We I learned a bunch. Uh, we also got a chance to chat a little travel, resources, the future, and the good old-fashioned Bobka, which I will have to check out very soon. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It, honor is mine. And for those listening, if you've learned something, and I freaking know you have because I'm filling up pages of notes and everything over here, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to one person, nine people, 9,000 people, whatever. That's how you get some good information in there, especially if they're looking for those, those campaigns or reach out to Quarter Muffin. They're going to dive in. They've got plenty of danishes for all of us, uh, unlike his former company, and uh, work with them on some advertising. Um, and don't forget, there's the organic, there's the, there's the paid. we got to do this the right way. Um, amazing. amazing. Jeff, thanks again, man. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. This has been another exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Thank you.